Well, on that note. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into this, huh? <laughs> Tough questions about the Bible. Yeah, all right. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. I am Stephanie Schaefer, and I'm here with our friends, Tim and Matt. What's up? I'm happy to be here and happy to be alive. Yes. Yeah, I just can't get used to her last name. I know. I'm sorry. It does throw us. I miss I Keeney Quinoa, the Keenster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Schaefer. Yeah. Just lacks a... Where do we go with it? Where we, do we take it? You gotta get creative. This, this yeah. one's on you the guys. The nickname game is officially a work in progress. On. Yeah, I, this is you are moving from JV to varsity now yes. in the nickname mm-hmm. game. Yeah, it's, it's more time. challenging. There we go. Yeah, I do like your husband though. I do. He's too. a nice guy. He is. Yeah, I'm a big fan. All right. Well, here on the debrief every week, Pastor Matt gives us real answers to your tough questions from the Bible. And this week, I especially want to welcome all of our new subscribers. We did a Yay. big push for the debrief this weekend at all of our locations to help people get subscribed so you can listen throughout our entire Beyond Happy series and hopefully just forever. Hopefully we just make this forever a thing. Forever and ever. Um, so if this is your first time welcome, listening to the debrief, we want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Going to have a great time today. I hope so. I think we will. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, right. let's try to cheer it up here. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we're boring everyone. Yeah, I hope so. It's yeah. just the it's the thing. It's the plane. I'm I can't get over it. I can't get over what I feel, what I felt in those moments. I thought it was our yeah. last moments. Yeah. For the record, I did not hear you cry like a girl. I that know. was that yeah. was a pastoral exaggeration. But you yeah. clarified in the moment and showed great integrity. Yeah. And as people have asked me, I said the rest of the story is exactly as he told yeah. it. It was a very frightening moment. Yeah. I, th- I did lie to your face, and I apologize because. I told you we were going to be okay. And you were not sure. I thought thought we were done. I thought he must know. Like I had my glasses on because, you know, the person had the window open. Someone's Mm -hmm. coming in. I'm trying to catch some Z's and I can't be having all that. (laughs) So I'm I'm, I'm like hands on the, like you guys can see this probably. I'm hands like this. I'm, I'm sitting back and it, and we just, we start. No, your nails were going through the. Right. And Pastor Matt so lovingly is like at multiple moments patting me on the leg. I'm like, can he tell that I am profusely sweating and contemplating the end of life right now? I felt so sick. So it's real, people. Everything happened exactly as he told it. This man has integrity. It was was, was so scary. It was was so scary. Yeah, I thought we were done. I thought we were done. But you know, I want to be excited. But right now, I'm still thinking about that. Somebody told me that pilots actually enjoy flying into Denver because it's so challenging. So, I mean, they actually feel like they have to do something and they're using their skills. So I, I, I was the only like person that. that I saw go in and thank the pilot when we landed. Yeah, I, I didn't did, see anybody else yeah. thank him, which they were is trying just to get so, off you know, like nobody like, thank, thank God. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, but God used this this pilot to not yeah. crash us all. So I appreciate that you think about that because you're right. People don't think about that. Mm-hmm. Like that was a really challenging thing that he just yeah. made seem like, oh, yeah, people don't day appreciate leadership. They don't appreciate skill anymore. It's like, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for what you did and- you know, they were talking about it. So the, the two pilot, the pilot and the co-pilot were talking about it. So we found out later that we hit a 35 mile an hour crosswind. So, um, which is quite challenging um, in an aircraft. So yeah. somebody told me, and I'm not, I'm not a pilot, but somebody told me that when it hits 40, that they're done. Like they don't, mm. they don't try to land. So we were pretty close. So, I mean, I'm not a aeronautical engineer, so someone can send in a correction, but that's what I was told in Denver that once it hits 40 miles an hour, they're, they don't land, they circle. Yeah. Wow. So... Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought we were going to flip upside down. Yeah. never felt anything like that. I'm glad you were there. Thanks for comforting yeah. me. You're welcome. You I'm here to, I'm here to escort you on to heaven above. It literally. Yeah. And it yeah. might be physically someday, just straight yes. on to glory. Yeah. Amen. Well, you're yeah. already in a plane, so you're, you're part way <laughs> No, but we weren't going up. <laughs> That's a problem. We were going down, down. 
Uh, those guys didn't get to hear this story this weekend in Pastor Matt's sermon. He shared all about that. So make sure if you have not listened to our second message yes. in the Beyond Happy series, be sure to check that out. We've got tons of follow-up questions from that sermon that we'll get to in a little bit. But first, we're going to start off with some follow-up questions from some earlier episodes of The Debrief, starting with Chris, who wrote in and said, during the first weekend of the Beyond Happy series, you spoke about how happiness is eternal and we have to suffer here on earth to obtain that true happiness in heaven. Without trying to sound too pessimistic, is there a way for us to actually be happy on earth while we wait for eternal happiness? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know that that's exactly what I said. I I do think that there is joy on earth. So um, I mean, that's what the whole Beatitude sermons are about in Matthew's, uh, Matthew's, Matthew chapter five and six, um, you know, blessed are, you can translate that happy are those who listen to what he's saying. And just so you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but Jesus lives out every single point in the Beatitudes. He's actually talking about his own life. You know, uh, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Well, he is meek and he does inherit the earth, right? Mm. Matthew, Matthew ends with all authority has been given unto me. So he's now in charge. So he actually lives out every single point of his sermon that he's talking mm-hmm. about there. Mm-hmm. And so we're to do that. And so, so yes, absolutely there's joy. Absolutely there's good times. You know, God, for, you know, forgive me if, if I made it sound like life is miserable and terrible. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the reason many of us are miserable is we expect eternal bliss here and now. Mm-hmm. We expect that if God is good, there will never be suffering. There will never be a struggle. There will never be hard times. And I think we need to prepare for it. And and by preparing for it, you know, like one of the reasons that the the uh, airplane scenario was so, um, caught me so off guard is because I had my headphones on. And so I have noise canceling headphones when we fly. And I didn't hear the pilot say, we're going to have a rough landing. So, so if I can if I can brace for that before it happens, I, I'm going to be able to navigate my emotions through that. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that Christians are so miserable is that they're shocked and surprised when marriage is hard. There's a financial crisis. Something goes wrong. You know, I I mean we're going to get into this the, it, this weekend, but part of the problem is we have unrealistic expectations for mm-hmm. joy, life, and happiness in a fallen world. I mean, we expect as Christians that no child will ever die, no marriage will ever end divorce, no one will ever get fired, uh, no one will ever get sick, no one ever is going to get cancer. And the reality is those things, we're blessed because those things are not rampant, but when they do happen, for many people, it's so rattling because they have such unhealthy expectations that um, their life is miserable. And so that's what the prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr is, you know, the... uh, the, um, I forget, what's it called? The sobriety prayer. Or what, what's it called? Oh, the, the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer, the sobriety prayer. So <laughs> hopefully it leads to sobriety, too. but the yeah. serenity prayer is, Lord, help me to uh, embrace life as it is and to find a healthy level of joy in this life, to embrace life as Jesus did. So a lot of people mm-hmm. don't realize that, to go through AA or CA or, or whatever addiction that you're battling through, that so many of us turn to addiction because we can't handle the burdens and the bumps of life. And so you just need to prepare for that. Uh, it's why when you know you get married, I mean, I didn't say this at your wedding, but they used to say for better or for worse, for richer, for poor until death do us part. And so basically the, the old uh, version of uh, you know wedding vows was to say, look, we're in this together and, and through the bumps and through the blessings, we're gonna love each other and love God and find God. And so I think when you have that, you're gonna find happiness and joy at a level that escapes most people. And so I'm sorry if what I communicated was there's no joy whatsoever. But uh, I think the key to happiness as we're gonna get into this next weekend is lowering your level of expectation. Like if you go to a movie and you think it's gonna be the best movie ever, you're probably gonna be a little disappointed because 
not every movie can be the best movie ever, but if you're like, meh, you're, you know, you're going to be entertained and, and have a good life. And so, um, lower your expectations. And, uh, I remember, you know, my first trip to Hawaii with Tammy, I was 30 years old. I never been, I just had such unrealistic expectations and nothing could ever live up to what I imagined mm. it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying, you know, and, 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 and if I was honest, if people say, so how was Hawaii? I was kind of bummed. Mm. Because I, man, you would have thought based upon my expectations, we were going to heaven, you know? Uh, It was going to be the most romantic trip ever. It was going to be, you know, the most uh, uh, thrilling trip ever. It was going to, I mean, right. I mean, I just thought these things and and it wasn't any of that. Mm. Um, And so when we got there, you know, I mean, my wife was tired. We had two children under the age of four. Mm. She wanted to sleep in the hotel the first three days. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right, so we we had different expectations. We didn't talk about our expectations. Um, it was really, really difficult and challenging. And the weather was horrid. Mm. It, we, we were in uh, we were in uh, Honolulu in July, and it rained more on that weekend than at any time in history. We broke every record. Oh we rented a convertible. <laughs> we did. We rented a convertible. We had the top down for five minutes. Yep. Put the top up. It was horrid, mm. torrential downpour. And a lot of people don't realize, but the nasty storms come to Hawaii in the summer. Hmm. That's when the scariest storms come. Wow. Um, you know, the hurricanes, stuff like that, because the water's warm and, and things get really, really ugly. That's actually their storm season. And I didn't know that then, but you know, so you just have to brace yourself. There's a reason things are green mm. because it rains all the time. And so um, you just have to, to be able to, you know, embrace that. And, um, you know, if you come to church and you're like, I'm going to hear the best sermon ever, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're going to come into church and say, I'm going to hear what God has for me today, whatever that is, then I think you're going to be uplifted and encouraged. You know, yeah. if you think the worship has to be the best ever, every single week, you know, everything about the church experience has to be, um, you know, better than the week before, you're going to be disappointed. And not only that, I think it leads to a form of hypocrisy because we start faking it and we start mm-hmm. pretending. So I, I, I'm not saying that you can't have fun in life. I think you can have fun in life. Um, but I don't think, um, you know, ex, I think expectations, you know, is, is the reason we have so much resentment in our life. And what we need to do is say, God, whatever happens today, this is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Mm-hmm. Today is the day the Lord has made and I'm gonna rejoice and be glad at it. And so whatever that is, and you know, there's there's days like yesterday where I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, you know, what happened at the Ariana Grande concert really, really bothers me. I mean, I, I actually cried twice last night watching mm-hmm. the news. Mm-hmm. It's ugly, it's evil, it's dark. Um, you know, um, this is not the work of the religion. Of religion, it's the work of the devil. You know, we talked about what does the devil come to do in John 10, 10? Steal, mm-hmm. kill, and destroy. Yeah. What happened at the concert? Lives were stolen, mm-hmm. people were killed, futures were destroyed. Yeah. That is the work of the devil. Yeah. And I don't care if they proclaim it in God's name, they didn't do it in God's name. That is in the devil's name and that's what it is. And so it's days like this where, okay, how do I process, how do I find joy in this? Well, I can't find joy in the present, so I have to rely on the future. So that's where I was talking about to Mm. our our question. So what do I do with days like this where the the body count's gonna go up and it's gonna be an eight-year-old girl, it's gonna be a 10-year-old girl, it's gonna be a 14-year-old girl, it's gonna be a parent waiting to pick up their Mm. daughter from a concert. you know, how, how do we embrace a world where girls are bouncing pink balloons, which was what was all over the concert, big giant balloons. And that's what they actually announced that the bang was. Mm. They thought balloons had, had exploded and they told people to go ahead and go out. It was miscommunication, mm. right? We live in a flawed world. Um, and we find out this, well, I know this, that um, one day God's going to make it right. And so listen, for, for all my loving, you know, 
liberal people, I love you, but this is why there's a hell. There needs to be a hell because this 22 year old individual that did this, no amount of time in, in jail. And by the way, he's gone because his body was destroyed. God has to deal with him forever because there are eternal consequences for what he did. People mm. will never see their child again, never see their spouse again. So I got to trust that God's going to make it right. And part of that making it right is making this individual deal with what he did that was wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, guys, this is why we have to be bold about the gospel. There is a fundamental difference between Christianity and between Islam. There is. Jesus said to love our enemies. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Mm. Mm. That's not that's not the Quran. So there, there's a fundamental difference. And that's not to lump all Muslims with this, but there is a fundamental problem here within our faiths. And there's a fundamental difference with our founder. And that's why we need to share the love of God with Muslims. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've gone door to door here in Riverside and we've had Muslim parents say, we want our children to learn about Jesus wow. because they don't want their children to grow up in this radicalized version of Islam that is not just currently been here, but it's been a challenge for hundreds of years. Uh, a lot of the world is waking up today that, oh my gosh, children were killed. Guess what? Israel's been facing this for the last 30 years. It's why they built a wall because they specifically target children. There's a reason in Israel that parents put their children on two separate buses. Think about that as a parent. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put my kids, they're gonna go to the same school. Or I'm gonna put them on different buses. So if something happens, I only lose one child. Mm. That's been going on. We're just finding out about this in the West now because it hasn't been our kids. You know, it hasn't been English speaking kids. It hasn't been little cute British kids, right? Mm. From Manchester, but now it is. Mm-hmm. This has been an evil that's been in the world for, for a while now. And so how, how, do, how do I cope with a day like today? I have to trust that one day God's going to deal with all this, which is why, by the way, so Revelation ends with every tear being wiped away, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything being made brand new, but it begins with a warrior on a white horse whose Mm -hmm. robe is is dripping with blood. Mm -hmm. I mean, right? He, He comes as the warrior and he comes to vanquish the devil who is so excited today, so excited today with the death of these, Mm -hmm. these, these beautiful, innocent children, uh, because that's what he does. He steals, he kills, he destroys. In contrast, what does Jesus do? I have come that you may have life, a rich and satisfying life, or the NIV, life to the full. Mm. So we need to turn to Jesus. We need to proclaim Jesus. We don't just need to eradicate terrorism, but what we knew we need is to have a revival of Christianity. We, we, ha- we have to do both. You know, it's not enough just to destroy evil, but we have to uplift what is good. And ultimately that is Christ. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, my prayer for the people of Manchester is that they would turn to Jesus in the midst mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. um, because these things are not gonna stop happening. You know, happening. Evil is not going away. We will not eradicate evil until Christ comes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is his promise. He is the vicar of evil. He will vanquish it. He will deal with it. Mm. And right now humanity has to choose. Do we wanna be on God's side? Or do we want to be on the world side? And and just so you know, um, part of the rage, so a lot of people don't understand why God is so mad. Part of the rage at this event is people lost children. Mm-hmm. Well, God lost a child. Mm-hmm. God lost a perfect, innocent, beautiful child that he gave up freely for the world. Mm-hmm. So why is God so mad? Why is God so angry? Well, there are, par- there are parents in um, England today that know. Yeah. Mm-hmm because they lost the most precious thing to them, Mm. which is what God lost to redeem us and to redeem us back to him. 
And, uh, you know, as we jump into Philippians chapter two, this week in our series, Beyond Joy, Jesus did all that intentionally. He suffered intentionally so that he could recruit us to himself intentionally. So again, I'm sorry that I communicated that there's no happiness whatsoever. Mm. No, 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 no. You can find reasonable levels of happiness, but you're not going to ever escape any pain, any suffering, and um, we need to, we need to prepare for it and, and to enjoy the days of um, you know of happiness. You know, my wife and I were joking yesterday. She came back from her trip and she just looked at me. She's like, "I like you," and I'm like, "What?" She's like, "I like you." I'm like, "Wait a minute." She says, she said, you're on my good list. And I said, yes, <laughs> I like being on the good list because yeah. I've been on the bad list. I've yeah. been on the other side. So I'm going to enjoy today. And I was just like walking around the house. I was like, yeah, feeling it. I'm yeah, on the good, good list today. <laughs> Bam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it took 20 years, but I'm there, man. <laughs> so I'm going to enjoy it. He won. Yes. Well, momentarily. Momentarily. Because, well, you know, I know myself. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will do something that ends up on the bad list. Well. Right. That's great. Good yes. job. Good job. I have had stole, stole. I have had stones or what rocks, coal uh, in my marital stocking many times. As they say. Yes. yes. I have earned that coal. By the way, stole, that's a coal. Jeez. Yeah. I'm inventing words here today. That's oh, okay. Welcome to the club. A wordsmith is mm-hmm. what they call you in your mm-hmm. pastimes. Yes. That's a nice shirt you're wearing, by the way, today. Yeah. Yeah, man. Joining the Get one. debrief look, team. Yeah. There. Join yes. the debrief team. If you're listening on uh, uh, to our podcast in the car, man, I'm wearing the new. You look strong. Oh, man. It, this yeah. is awesome. You look yeah. good. So that shirt is special just for the people who signed up to do our debrief support team. So that way they can see them all over I campus. I love it. So. Yeah. I like it a yeah. lot. I love what you're sharing about expectations. I would say in my life, that probably has been the source of, of much of the disappointments that I that I feel like sure. internally, right? Mm-hmm. You I, I get out of college. I, my first job is going to be the best job. Oh, yeah. Or you get in a relationship, the, the first one, oh, this is going to be the one. And, and, and managing those expectations, mm-hmm. tempering them with truth going to the word of God and seeing, man, this is the way the world is, but it will not always be this way. Mm-hmm. And then being able to really walk in, in the freedom and truth that, that God will right all wrongs in the end. Yeah. That really brings a lightness and a freedom to life. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the book of Psalms right now. I, I try to read through the Bible. You know, I don't make it every year, but I try to read through the Bible. I'm not mm-hmm. at the point where I'm trying to race through that. So uh, this year, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it because I'm in Psalms and it's <laughs> almost June. So I started in Genesis, mm-hmm. now I'm mm-hmm. in Psalms. But, you know, the Psalms are almost bipolar. You know, God is great. He's so awesome. He's so incredible. Very next verse, where are you, God, right? Yeah. And so the, the book of Psalms teaches us to ride through the highs and lows of life. And that's why, you know, Psalms are so important. I mean, one Psalms of praise, God, you're so good. You can't be any better. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Psalms uh, 16, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. I think it's Psalm 16, 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, the debrief team will look that up, but yes, I'm pretty I sure will. it's Psalm. Maybe it's Psalm 16, 8. I'm really close. I'm hunting. Um, you know, but the very next Psalm is like, where are you, God? You don't hear my prayer. How long will my enemies vanquish me? Mm-hmm. You know, what is going on? Uh, you get to Psalm 22, which is one of the most depressing Psalms in um, the Bible. Uh, the most famous is Psalms 23, but a lot of people miss mm-hmm. Psalm 22, which I don't believe is about David at all. Who writes it? It's about it's Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. You know, my, 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 my bones are all out of joint. I've been pierced. You know, I've been right. abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is Jesus actually quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's a beautiful thing. And then you get to Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides green pastures. He, you know, he restores my soul. Mm. I mean, it's it's so beautiful, but but here's the thing. What was our person that wrote in? Did she give a name? Chris. Chris. Chris, you can't experience Psalm 23 without going through the valley of Psalm 22. Mm. And so- 
You know, our highs are in direct proportion to our lows, and we and we need to learn that. And um, you know, part of the reason that you and I rejoice that we landed is because we thought we were going to die, <laughs> right? What 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 made the landing exhilarating? Was the contrast was the yeah. contrast yeah. of wow, you know, and and I think that's what brings intensity to love mm-hmm. to relationships. Was mm. wow, that fight was really hard. Mm-hmm. So now lovemaking is really great because yeah, the good list is even better. Amen. The good list is even better. So we've got to understand that. And, and the joy of watching, you know, like I put, um, uh, Kennedy on the plane this morning. I didn't put her on the plane. I put her on the bus to go to the airport, to get on the plane, you know, but the joy of watching her as a college student wanting to get on the plane and go overseas to share the love of gospel, Mm -hmm. that part of that joy is the hardships of raising, raising a daughter, Mm -hmm. right? There's been moments where, Man, I wanted to kill that little kid in Jesus' yeah. name. You know what I'm saying? Wanted to put her on a different bus. Yeah, but different Senator, bus, yeah. right? You're going down, not <laughs> up. But, you know, the, the, the joy of parenting is is in the hardship. Yeah. You know, like I was uh, hanging out with Stephanie's parents on her wedding day and, um, you know, just talking with the difficulties of raising young Stephanie. Mm, <laughs> very, young very Steph- intelligent, challenging yes. young woman. <laughs> Tall Stephanie. Yes. Um, but, you know, those hardships led to the joy of that yeah. moment of... Mm. You know, and just like for me, you know, um, when I started crying during your wedding um, vows, and I, I blame Stephanie for that. Totally. Um, but I got teary-eyed because of the heartache of the years of watching you hurt and mm-hmm. what I knew you longed for mm-hmm. and not wanting to be single, but wanting to find that guy mm-hmm. and me wanting to strangle some guys in Jesus' name. <laughs> Man, I'm violent this morning. Sorry. Oh, wow. Apologize. Um, but... <laughs> But part of my joy in that moment was walking through the valley of the shadow of death of relationships with Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And so today is the mountaintop, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it was awesome. Go, but I wouldn't day. have been as emotional and it wouldn't have met, meant as much to me had I not been been low with you in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the thing is, is, you know, embrace the lows so that you can embrace the highs. And it's just like your friends, man. My best friends today are the people that I've been through hardships with. You know, um, one of my best friends, his name's Roger. You know, he and I, um, we, we buried his brother in suicide. He lost his brother in suicide. Mm. We've been friends since fourth grade. I buried his dad. Mm. I did, you know, I did, I did the funeral for his dad. His, his parents knew me <laughs> when I was on the verge of being a drug addict or criminal, you know? Mm. We've been through some difficulties, um, but we've also been through some great things. Yeah. And uh, we have that, you know, I, I have my good friends, you know, um, here at church, and we've been through very huge difficulties, and um, I, I just I just love that, you know. And it's there's just there's beauty there. So, thank you for that great question. I apologize if I'm too negative. Sometimes <laughs> life is good. Life is good. You're on the yeah. good list. Yeah, you got a good shirt. It's mm-hmm. a good day. Uh, we'll dive into Diane's question, a follow-up question. Pastor Matt mentioned his deep love for his church in last week's episode, especially towards those who have stayed in the long haul with them over the last twenty years. Uh, Diane says, immediately I was cut to the heart because I left my church of 15 plus years about seven years ago. I was on staff there serving in vital ways, but I couldn't be real with my struggles. It disqualified me. So I suffered in silence. And when I couldn't hide my struggling heart any longer, I removed myself from ministry and the church to go get my act together. I know we need to listen to the Lord and I feel certain he has led us to Sandals Church East Valley, but sometimes wonder if Pastor Matt would tell me I shouldn't have left my old church. So my question is, is it ever okay to leave a good Bible-believing church? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and, and let me just say this, you know, um, I, I believe God has led people away from sandals. That didn't make me feel good about it. Mm. You know, it still hurts me. It still wounds me. Um, I, I believe that most people are not listening to the spirit of God. I believe they're listening to the spirit of their selfishness. And it's far easier to blame the church than it is to take personal responsibility for your walk. Mm. Uh you know, I hear people say this all the time. Well, I left that church because I wasn't getting fed. We're, we're the primary person that's responsible for our feeding. We need to feed. You know, I, I um, don't depend upon anybody else for my Bible instruction. I, I read, I study myself, and I, um, you know, I, I'm in the Word. Church for me is a part of honoring my, our Father who is in heaven. Mm. Like I gather together not to be fed, but to praise and honor God and to proclaim His truth. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's some feeding that's taking place and some challenging and some encouragement because I believe the Holy Spirit is present and powerful in the gathered church. But my primary purpose is not to be fed, but to serve, to give. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to learn to eat on my own and feed myself. So uh, I think many Christians leave for the wrong reasons. It sounds like she left for the right reasons. You know, sometimes we do need to change. We do need to go somewhere else. You know, we're not thriving in our present circumstances. And I'm certain that that's happened at Sandals. That doesn't mean that I'm not super grateful or shouldn't be grateful for the people who've stuck it out and stayed. I am grateful. There would be no church without them. Mm-hmm. And, and I am so grateful uh, you know, that they've followed me and trusted me as I've learned. Everything I've, I've learned about being a pastor, I've learned through mistakes. I've learned through mm-hmm. being wrong. And, and, and oh my gosh, that, that, was, that was not right. You know? mm-hmm. And people have trusted me as they trusted Jesus and followed me as I followed Jesus. And I'm very, very grateful for those people. And they have a special place in my heart. However, I love everybody that goes to Sandals, and I'm grateful that uh, she's been here at Sandals for seven plus years. I'm grateful that you go to Sandals East Valley Campus. It's an amazing church. I love every time mm. I get a chance to go there. Just wonderful, wonderful people. Pastor Adam is the best. Mm. Um, just, just a beautiful place. So it sounds to me like, no, you're in absolutely the right place. And, um, you know, it sounds to me like that's the enemy working in your heart, not, not the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, you know, none of us are perfect but you're in a community now, you're serving now, you're living out the vision of authenticity now. And oftentimes you would do great harm. If you go to a church that doesn't have a vision for real, you're gonna destroy it. Mm. You can't wake up people who don't wanna be awake. You mm. can't do it. And a lot of these churches are sleeping through the gospel. And even though they are, they're a Bible-believing biblical church, if confession is not a regular part of the church, they're not a Bible-believing biblical church. Mm. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be whole and healed, right? First John 1, 9. We, when we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know, if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm-hmm. So confession needs to be a regular part of the church, both from the pastor and the people, mm-hmm. both. And, uh, and we need to do that. And so, um, you know, I think you're in the right place. Again, I say this all the time. I believe authenticity is a movement of God. And if you're not with authenticity, you're not with God. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Be done with hypocrisy. Be done with lies. Walk away from that stuff. You know, Jesus said to the disciples when the crowds came, beware of the hypocrisy. Be Watch out for it because it infects the whole movement of God. So we have to be careful. So great question. I love you. Please know I believe God's with you. Um, you know, and, you know, I just think that we should, we should leave churches very, very carefully, mm-hmm. very, very carefully. It should be something that's done prayerfully and it always should feel like a little bit of tearing. There should be, if it's not, you weren't really a part of whatever it is that you're leaving. So, uh, but having said that, you know, it was hard for Tammy and I to leave Shoreline Baptist Church in, in Huntington mm. Beach. I'm still friends with some of those people 20 years later. Wow. Still love them to death. That's awesome. Um, very, very hard. Very, very difficult. 
Um, but we did that because God was calling us to start something new. So yeah. great question. Gosh, 27 minutes, two questions. This hey, is going to be know. like a two-hour debrief. Rolling, All right, let's try to do rolling. a lightning round of art. We've got two quick off-topic questions. Um, we actually, a couple of people sent in a question on this topic, so we decided to go and throw it on the show. Anonymous writes in, they were both anonymous, and says, it feels like one of our Southern California Christian taboos is plastic surgery. Mm. I'm getting a boob job soon and feel self-conscious about it because when I because I do not know what to tell others and they will obviously notice. When I mention it to other women, I find out many have gotten all kinds of plastic surgeries, but we hide it from each other and don't talk about it in community and that seems important. Is plastic surgery complete vanity? Outside of the high expense, which we can afford, no one seems to talk about the heart or self-image issues. Also, I have not talked about it with my kids. What should I say to my son and my daughter? Yeah, absolutely. So, man, great, great question. And uh, so there are two there are two ways to look at things theologically. So there's close-handed issues and these are things that are diehard, you know, um, things that we all have to agree on, right? There's only one God. The Bible is, you know, his word to us. There's mm-hmm. only one way to be saved. And so we all have to agree on those issues. Mm-hmm. And if we don't agree on those close-handed issues, um, then we, we can't be in fellowship together. So I can't be in fellowship with someone at Sandals Church who says, Jesus Christ is not God. Like, okay, we, we can't agree to disagree on that. We have to go <laughs> right, separate ways. Right. Uh, plastic surgery is an open-handed issue. It's just not something that should separate. It's not something that should alienate. And you're going to have Christians that are all over the spectrum on this issue. So, um, you know, let's walk through the, the various points, you know, in, in this. So, so number one, with anything that is, um, you know, a vanity issue. So a boob job's not the only vain issue. Me combing my hair, uh, mm. you know, me... Uh, putting oil in my beautiful beard, yes, right? This looks very nice. glistening today, right? Th- those are all vain issues. I mean, they are being more concerned about mm. what's on the outside than what's on the inside. However, we should be presentable and we, we should be concerned about those things. I mean, I comb my hair, I pick my shirts, you know, before I get up to preach and and I am concerned with my image in as far as how people receive me. So, so I, I am concerned that way. And I do think that I should appear somewhat culturally relevant. So I think that it's very, very dangerous to just throw out all cosmetic things, you know, makeup. And some churches do this. Women shouldn't wear makeup. They should never let their hair down, you know, I mean, and, and so they look like Quakers. And there are some, you know, God love them Christians are going to be in heaven with us and they're a little different, but, you know, that's their conviction and they, you know, they don't wear pants, they wear curtains, you know. <laughs> I mean, so, 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 it's, so the question is, how far do you take this? So here's what I would say is, is, Number, the number one issue for something like a, a boob job, and you said boob job, I, I feel a little weird saying that, um, a breast augmentation, uh, I think is oh, the correct okay. term, um, is, is number one, the expense. And so, so the first thing that we have to do when, when we look at our lives as Christians is we have to be stewards of God's resources. So, um, you know, uh, I don't want a boob job. One of the things I want is a Porsche. One day I want, I want to drive a Porsche. So a Porsche is a very, very expensive item. I would guess far more than a breast augmentation surgery. So one of the things that I have to look at as a Christian is I have to say, okay, am I stewarding the resources of God? Am I utilizing these resources in an appropriate manner? So for me, that starts with tithing. Um, you know, so am, as, as my wife and I, are we giving 10% of our income to the Lord? That, that's not every Christian, again, agrees with that. I believe that it's biblical. It's what Tammy and I do. Yes. Are we supporting missionaries? Absolutely. You know, do we have money for things? Okay. And currently a Porsche doesn't make sense. It mm. doesn't make sense mm-hmm. financially for us. And it's it's not something that makes sense for us. So I think you use that same line of thinking with breast augmentation. You know, are, are we supporting the kingdom of God? Are we living for him? You know, are we doing those things? Is this money that's gonna take away or put pressure on our family? And so I think anytime we put financial pressure on our family for external things, I think that's a problem. Mm. 
So that's what I would say is you have to judge yourself. So I wouldn't finance a breast job, which I've talked to young ladies at our church that have done that. You know, they can't afford their car payment, but they're paying 25% interest for a breast augmentation surgery. And I'm like, what are you doing? Mm. And you're right, it is noticeable, right? I mean, it is. And and so, so let me talk about that. And, you know, so the first thing is, is can you afford it? Is it a responsible stewardship? And certainly I think God blesses us with money to do with, you know, what, at, you know, I don't think that a breast job is immoral. However, what kind of breast job are you going to get? Mm. I mean, I, I see women, you know, if I can only see your breasts, I can't see your soul. So what are you doing? I mean, why, why, are, why are you trying to look abnormal? I mean, I, th- I think the size of it matters. Don't be ridiculous. Don't, you know, as your pastor, if I see you at the gym or I see, you know, are you going to make me stumble? I mean, am I going to be able to look at your eyes or your breasts? And and so, so try to do something that's that's moderate, that's not ridiculous, that that's not showy. Mm. I mean, some of these women that have these things, I mean, they're gigantic. What are you doing? Um, I, I so so I would say, you know, be 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 moderate in in what you're doing, and don't do it to get everybody else's attention. Uh, I think if your motive is for your husband and your spouse, that's fine. And, and just so you know, you know, breasts change. With pregnancy, you know, breastfeeding changes the way breasts looks, the way they, you know, and so there are some times where there are medical reasons. For example, if you got if someone came to me and they had cancer and they had to have their breast removed, absolutely. If you if you want to get them, get them. Hmm. I mean, I, I would absolutely affirm that. And if you don't, and it's not a big deal for you and your spouse, then don't. I think that you need to pray about it together. So I think it's really really dangerous to say it's always yes or it's always no. I think hmm. we need to look at every single situation. I would say this though, we live in a culture where we see way too many breasts. It's mm. just it's it's just a problem culturally. And it's sad to me that Christian women are not convicted on this issue. Um, and so, and I think the larger your breasts are, the more moderate you need to be. You 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 need to be more careful and with covering those and making sure that you're not making men who are visually driven stumble. Mm. And so, so, so we need to deal with that. So, you know, I would say that it's something that you should just be real about. You should, you know, you should just own, um, and just say, look, this is the decision I made. Um, you know, whether you tell your kids, I mean, I, that that's up to you as a parent. There's so many variations here, but I think it's important not to say a hard and fast rule. It's always right. Or it's always wrong. I think it's situational. Um, I think that you need to pray into that. And, um, you know, I mean, this falls in the realm to me of how much money should you spend on clothes? Mm. How much money should you spend on a car? I mean, it falls in that category. And then again, it comes back to stewardship. What are you doing with the resources that God has given you? Uh, within the context of marriage, if this is going to help um, a wife be feel more sexual towards her husband, because I, I know wives who've, their breasts have changed and they don't feel... Um, no matter how many, no matter how complimentary the husband is, mm. they, they don't feel um, okay naked around their spouse. So in that instance, absolutely. If it's going to help the intimacy and romance of the married couple, I would do it. What it shouldn't be done for um, is to uh, try to you know appeal to men outside the context of marriage. I think mm-hmm. that's a really, really dangerous thing. And so um, just, just, just be aware of that um, when you're doing that. So um, I, I don't think you're sending, I've, I've had a lot of women that are ashamed and embarrassed, and and I think that's that's sad, um, you know. But then again, you got to understand, some women are going to judge you because maybe they would like one and they can't afford it, so it puts pressure mm-hmm. on other women. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, one of the texts in the Bible that talks about how women dress at church, 
has nothing to do with the moral issue. It has to do with how it makes poor people feel. Wow. So when he says, leave your purple robes at home and your, 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 your gold earrings at home, don't wear those to worship. It doesn't mean that those things are bad. What it means is you shouldn't make the poor woman who's come to church feel unworthy. Mm. And so there are women who will never be able to afford something like this. And it does make them feel bad or less than. And so we need to remember that. And, you know, we, we all come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and we need to remember the poor in everything that we do. So, um, just make sure that it's not braggadocious. It's not in people's faces. Um, you know, it's it's not to look better than every other woman, or mm. but it's to uh, be a blessing to your marriage and to your sexual intimacy within the context of marriage. Um, and you got to watch it because none of us are ever going to be good enough in our eyes because that's what sin does. Sin mm. says to women, "You're never beautiful enough. You're never pretty enough." And you got to, I mean, there's an addiction to this stuff. It's a real deal, and. Um, you know, shoot, man, I wish my legs were about two inches longer. <laughs> I mean, I just do. I got the shortest legs on earth, man. I mean, it's just, I look like Fred Flintstone, you know, but I'm not going to go out and spend money for leg lengthening. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to do sounds that. Sounds painful. I like yeah, I didn't even know that it's a real surgery, yeah. but um, but I'm sure maybe somewhere they can. So you just got to be, you got to be really, really careful because I, I think in today's culture, no woman is ever going to be beautiful enough. Mm. And that's part of our sinful fallen Western culture. And... Um, you know, uh, bodies change, people change. And, um, you know, my wife and I were on the beach, I think last summer and some young, very attractive w- women walk by in their bikinis, which is just weird to me because they're, they're not bikinis. It's like the least amount of material, it's the least amount of material that you will spend a hundred dollars on in your life. <laughs> and they walk by in that. And my wife says, you know, oh, do you wish, you know, I look like that? And I was like, no, I love you. And mm. I, here's what I would say, ladies, that, you know, obviously my wife's beautiful. I don't think there's any question. Initially, uh, my I was drawn to her out of attraction and I'm still attracted to her, but I am now more drawn to her out of appreciation. I love who she is. I love what she is in my life. I love who she's been in my life. And my wife's body looks different today than it did when she was 20. Okay, I've dated her as a teenager. We started dating, think about it. She was 18 when we started dating. Whoa. Yeah, she's like this little innocent dove and I was like this hawk in college oh and sailed down, <laughs> snatched her up. Um, so I've dated her as a teenager. I've dated her... In, I was married to her in her 20s, her 30s, and now we're in her 40s, and her body's changed. My body's changing. And so, you know, she made the comment. She says, well, my body doesn't look like that. I said, well, they didn't have my babies. Mm. You gave birth to my three babies. And and I and I love that, and I appreciate that in you, and um, I just love Tammy. I want to be with Tammy. And Tammy is my standard for beauty. That's mm. what she is. Mm. So that's why, you know, I don't look at porn. Uh, I don't. I don't look at you know things that are, are not my wife because that's going to present something that's very very unhealthy uh, mm-hmm. for me, and it's actually going to make me not appreciate what God has given me. Uh, the Bible actually says, "Never forget the breasts of your wife from her youth." That's a Bible verse. It's in the Word. <laughs> it's in the Word. That's the Word of God. <laughs> don't forget uh, your wife's breasts from her youth. Remember that. Be attracted to that and drawn to that, and and, and remember you know, what it is that you love about her. So my prayer for you is that, you know, um, that your identity would be in God. And if you feel the peace of God to go ahead and do this and just know cosmetic surgery is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have had, um, I did go and pray with a woman. Actually, uh, I I didn't go and pray with her for breast augmentation surgery. I actually went and prayed with her to have them removed um, because she believed they made her sick. So, and she had them taken out. 
you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the evidence on that, but I just know that I went and pray. She's a good friend of mine. I went and, and, and she had, um, you know, breast augmentation surgery and she had it removed because she got very, very ill mm. and she wished that she never would have done that. So just make sure that you're taking all of that into consideration. And I've, I've had uh, multiple surgeries and none of them are easy. It's a very, very difficult process. And just understand that, that there is risk involved and um, you, ha- you have to calculate that um, yeah. because bad things can happen. And so um, I'll be praying for you. And, 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 and here's my prayer for all of you as women is that you would marry men that love God and love you no matter what. Um, bodies change, life changes, seasons change, and certainly pregnancy changes bodies. It just does. Now, some women, you know, and you see them on Instagram or on the news, and there's a reason they're taking pictures of their abs because that's normal. <laughs> it's not normal. Some women are blessed that way. Not every woman is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's going to be stretch marks. There's going to be things that are going to move. Um, you birthed a human being, right? I mean, it's crazy. So uh, my prayer is for you. I, I don't think it's a matter of sin. It's a matter of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's important that, um, you know, that, that you own that and you just say, yeah, I did it. And, um, you know. Awesome. Yeah, I... Man, that was a, a lot of talking. And I don't know if I provided her an answer. It's good. I think, I think you have some great answers Absolutely. There. Thank you. And Stacy and Lisa would like an answer too. Another Whoa. follow-up cosmetic type question. Wow. How does God feel about mm. tattoos? Stacy was told growing up that it is a sin to get a tattoo. Is that the right. case? Yeah, so that comes out of Leviticus 19. And so the, the issue is, and so I, I've heard Christians say, well, that was written to priests. And I, I just don't buy that, that, that it's written for priests. I, I think the issue is... Um, Tattoos in the ancient world were, um, were were identification with a foreign cult. And so that's the reason that, mm. that they weren't supposed to do that. It also mentions carving. So don't carve yourself, mark yourself. Um, our identity is in Christ. Um, I think, uh, again, so tattoos to me are just like a boob job. It's a lot of money, a lot of pain. It's a lot of process. Some people love it. Some people don't. For me, it's just another one of those issues. Pray about it. If you're already tithing, you're already giving, you're already a part of God's kingdom. Um, don't do it to make yourself look better. You know, I mean, I think that that's, uh, I think it's it's an image thing. I don't think it's a sin thing. I don't have tattoos because I hate needles. Like the idea <laughs> of on my free time and my recreation to nope. be repeatedly injected with a needle full of ink. Like I would rather like somebody snap my pinky. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Now, having said that, we have great tattoo artists in our church that do amazing work. And I think it's amazing. And it's, you know, so... Again, we're not called to be Jews. We're called to follow Jesus. I think the text is specifically spoken to Jews um, and it was something that was culturally inappropriate and identified them as not Jewish Hmm. in the book of Leviticus. Um, I certainly think today it does not identify you as not a follower of Jesus. There are many, many people. I've actually thought about a couple of times uh, getting a Bible verse tattooed on my body um, just to remind myself of some struggles that I've been through. I want that mm. ever-present thing. And ultimately, I decided not to. Um, you know, I've asked my children not to do it until they're about 25, 26, because your brain is fully developed <laughs> at that time. Exactly. And, you know, so if you're an adult and you know who you are and you know what you want, man, do it. But when you're young, wait. What you think is cool is going to change. What you're going to put on your body is going to change. And a lot of people who have multiple tattoos regret at least one. So... So take some time, make sure that, you know, it's something that you like and that you love. But that's another great question. Yeah. And again, Christians are all over the map on this issue. There are closed-handed issues that we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to debate. And there's open-hand issues and tattoos, boob jobs, um, alcohol, 
things like that. Those are open, open-handed issues. And, um, and, and I'm just, I'm not going to debate them. I'm going to give you my opinion. Paul actually does that in the book of First Corinthians. He's asked a question. He says, I'm not sure on this, but here's, he says, I don't have anything from the Lord, but this is what I think. And he says, and I think the Lord is with me on this issue. Mm. So Paul actually does that. So there's some, there's some questions that we get asked where it's like, whoa, you know, I don't know what, what the answer here is. And so again, mm. um, don't be so wrapped up in the world, be wrapped up in God. That's what I would say for both questions and make sure that your anchor is God, not in the size of your breasts or how cool the tattoo looks on your body. Again, I'm not saying those things are bad or evil. I'm just saying um, your identity needs to be in mm, God. That's so, good. That's um, good. Yeah. Producer Kelly has some tattoos. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think they look great on him. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm not hardcore. You yeah. know, I, like people would just laugh if I had tattoos. Be like, you don't want to get like a little Justin Party face on your shoulder blade yeah. or something? No. Have like, him with you all the time. Yeah. Watching over you. I don't want Justin Looking over your shoulder. No. <laughs> I don't know. His beard could kind of go into your, I don't yeah. know. Okay. Yeah. A little speech bubble. Well, hey there, everybody. Yeah. That makes me not miss Justin. Thanks. <laughs> oh, well. Here to help. All right. Well, let's we love you, Justin Party. <laughs> Miss we you do. so much. Well, we're going to go ahead and dive into debriefing this weekend's sermon mm. and some of the things you two oh. talked about there. We got a ton of questions in since we were talking about the debrief so much. The first one of those questions comes in from Erica. She says that in your sermon, you mentioned that people can be addicted to misery. And I feel like this is my friend's case. Four years ago, she lost her mom and cries about her loss every day since. It seems like she hasn't gotten better. And I know that ever since this event, her life has changed drastically. She doesn't believe in God anymore because she, she thinks if there was a God, he would not not be so cruel to let her suffer like this. Mm. I try to be understanding, but she's so unwilling to move on from this. If she's not sad about her mom, it's about something else. How can I help someone who is unwilling to let themselves be happy again? Wow. Yeah, you can't help this person. Wow. There's, there's, there's no, there's no helping a person who doesn't want help. Mm. And um, you know, if you want to waste your life, here's how you do it: go try to force people to change. Like you cannot change someone; they have to want to change themselves. And I've just learned the hard way. Um, it's like Christians. I think Christians are knuckleheads that go out and try to evangelize a person who says, I'm never going to believe. I don't want to believe. What? Go find someone who wants to believe. Go find someone who wants to change. Um, you know, again, I think that as a culture, we worship victim status. I think we worship wounds. I think that's who we are as a culture. Everybody wants to be wounded because what, what wounds do is it means I'm not responsible for my emotions, my choices, mm. you know, my life. Mm. Um, and at some point, you have to become an adult and you have to make the best of life that you possibly can. Some people can't do this. And this is why so many in our culture turn to drugs, turn to alcohol, turn to sex, turn to everything else. Um, you know, God has not promised us life without pain. He's promised us his presence in the midst of pain. And so that's, that's what we need. And, you know, this person is probably not a believer. And uh, there are many cultural Christians who are not Christians. You know, they're just... They're just kind of in this middle group in America. And, you know, I, I certainly my heart goes out to her. Death is a wake-up call. And and for some of us, instead of waking up, we go, we fall deeper asleep. And that's what it sounds like she's done. She's asleep in her pain and she can't ever get over that. And man, there's suffering all around the mm. world. And um, it happens every day, every single day. It just doesn't happen to us. And we should be grateful for that. So, um, yeah. I, I would walk away. I would love her from a distance mm. and just say, man, I'm praying for you, but she's going to pull you down. Misery loves company and she's going to suck you into mm. that. And I have seen it over and over and over again. Um, you know, you both have prayed or been with me out in the lobby. You see the same people, same problems. They come up and they want to suck your soul. And, and, and mm. it just, it's so sad. They never want to change. They never want to get better. And you're just like, 
you know? Mm. And what they want to do is meet with me. I want to meet with you. I want to spend time with you. And he's like, no, you're not going to suck my soul. It's not going to happen. You need to take responsibility for your life and you need to make the changes that you need to make. And, um, you know, we can't be, we can't be God for people. We can't be, we're setting them up for failure and ourselves up for failure. And your friend Mm. needs to turn to God. The problem is she's right, rejected God. And, um, God knows what it's like to lose. We're going to get into Philippians 2 this week. He lost his one and only son. Jesus faced real death, real death, mm. real pain, real suffering, yeah. real anguish. And, and, and not only did Jesus face those things, but he faced what we don't face. He was forsaken by God. Yeah. So think about this. We all feel that God has turned his back on us, but God has never turned his. There's yeah. only one person in the history of humanity who has had God turn his back on him. And that was Jesus. Amen. Yeah. God has only walked away from one person. And oh, by the way, what person was that? The only perfect person who ever lived. Mm. So, and that's why so many of us in ourselves, I don't understand. I've been good my whole life and this bad things happened to me. Jesus was perfect, perfect. And God turned his back on Jesus. Mm. Why? So that he could turn himself, so he could turn us back to him. Mm. That's why. So, you know, I'm sorry for your friend. I'll be praying for them. Look, not everybody's gonna change. I, I wish, you know, our vision's being real. Part of it is to be real about people. And what we can do is pray that God's spirit would minister to them and speak to them at some point, wake them up. Because here's what's gonna happen is she's gonna run her life if she has kids or kids' lives, her marriage. And she's just gonna carry this wound all through life and it's gonna wreck It's gonna wreck mm. it. So yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. It's hard. Yes. Pastor Matt, you talked in your message this weekend about how we need to draw closer to God to find happiness rather than looking for it from others. So Jenna writes a question in, since becoming a mom, I've felt a strong desire to seek and learn more about God to help me process the anxiety, fears, and unknowns that come with being a parent. We've started attending church more regularly. We started to tithe weekly and have also applied to be a volunteer recently. My husband doesn't seem to share my enthusiasm for these changes. And I feel like I'm pulling closer to God and further from him. And this has resulted in some pretty big disagreements. Any advice or suggestions? Yeah, I would say go slowly. So, um, you know, p- part of, you know, you're married. God doesn't want to split your marriage apart. And so you need to make sure that your Christianity and your faith doesn't become a wedge. If your faith is becoming a wedge, then it's not worship. It's not. So God's, your faith in God can draw even a non-Christian and a Christian closer together. God's mm. that powerful. So he specifically speaks to that, that God sanctifies both the non-believing spouse and the children. So God can bring you closer together, even if your spouse is rejecting him. So you need to make sure that your spouse doesn't feel alienated. Now tithing, you know, I don't know what you mean by tithing. Tithing, the word tithe means 10. So 10, 10% of your income, that's a big step for a new believer. So mm. um, it was actually a big issue for Tammy and I, when we first got married, my wife didn't, she grew up in church, but she didn't grow up tithing. I grew up tithing. I mean, I, literally when I was a kid, my parents used to give me a dollar for allowance and 10 cents went to the church. So from the time I was in elementary school, I was tithing. So it always had been something that I believed in. It's something I always practiced. My wife and I, as believers, had to come together with that uh, and agree that that 10% is not our income. And so we made the decision that we would rather live on 90% of our income that is blessed than 100% that's cursed. Mm. We, we just believe that. So uh, I don't believe that you have to tithe uh, and I don't believe that it's actually cursed, but I believe that it's guaranteed that God blesses tithing. So the Bible teaches that, and I want all the blessing I can get when it comes to my <laughs> money. And so Tammy and I have done that. So I would go slow in that. Here's what I would do. Man, I would encourage your husband. I would encourage your husband. So um, man, I, I, so here's what should happen on Sabbath. 
The Sabbath day, listen to this married couples, Sabbath day is for worshiping God, serving God, and rest, and it has been unanimously observed by Jews and Christians that it's a great day to have sex. It is. Wow. It, it is. So you want to encourage your non-believing husband? Make great passionate love to him or to her, you know, on Sundays or Saturdays after worship. Man, God should motivate you to love your spouse and meet their mm. needs. And I'm telling you, you can win your husband over to this. And I'm not saying that you should do this to be manipulative, but you should be, as you are drawn to God, you should be drawn to your spouse and meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, you're not being drawn to God because God has said, right? Love each other, be committed to each other. We are to, husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, we are to submit to our husbands as the church submits to Christ. Like as we move closer to God, he's going to move us closer to each other. So, Amen. so make that happen. And, and man, I'm telling you, being married to a Christian girl, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's good stuff, man. I believe you. Um, because God says she's got to love me and she's got to minister to me sexually. Amen. Yeah. You're single. I don't know why I looked at you. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's Christian girls. It's a part of the package. It is. It's a part of the deal. Mm. One of the ways that you love your husband is by having sex with him. And, you know, it, w without medical reasons, why am I? That was not her question. I just went yeah, no, completely <laughs> off base here. You're on the good yeah. list. I'm You're not passive good. aggressively talking to my wife either. My <laughs> wife's great. She's awesome. I love Tammy. She's, she's always been great to me uh, in that area. So I have yeah. no complaints. So I'm just saying, you know, women, the way to win your husband over is not criticism. It's through loving him in a way that meets his needs. Mm -hmm. And for most guys, sex falls in that category. Mm -hmm. For most for most guys, not every guy, for most guys. Sure. So that's what I would say. So thank you for serving. Thank you for giving. And thank you for coming to church on the weekends. Would you do me a favor? Thank him, serve him, love him. And say, thank you so much. Because here's the deal. You have, you, you said it in your question. You've changed. Mm -hmm. You've changed. And, and just so you know, a religious change oftentimes leads to distance between couples. That's not biblical. Don't get so holier than thou mm -hmm. that, you, that you move away from your spouse. So you need to love him in this process and encourage him in this process and thank him because it sounds like he's, he's coming. Mm -hmm. Sounds like maybe he's serving and he's even allowing you to give. So talk about what, what could we give? Because we even have, you know, some couples at our church, their spouses don't come. So, you know, please do not start tithing without talking to your spouse. That's a sin. So talk to your spouse. What could I give? How much can I serve? Make sure that you honor them and bring them along in the process because God doesn't want to tear your marriage apart. He wants to bring it together and cement it together in him. So make sure that you're doing that. So please, please, please love on your sweet husband and just give him grace. And I'm so thankful that he's allowing you to change. And your prayer needs to be God every single week you know, in, in this service, teach me how to love my husband better. Teach mm. me how to serve him better. Teach, teach us how to grow closer together as a couple. Uh, marriage is not easy, but it is worth it. So my prayer goes out to you. Love you and appreciate that great question. Mm. Yeah. All right. So one of the points from your message this weekend um, about how to hold on to happiness was to walk away from crazy. Yes. And that point has stuck with a lot of folks. I saw a lot of pictures of that sermon point yep. on you know Instagram and everything. And we've gotten a handful of questions here about exactly when and how we should walk away from crazy. So this first one comes from Jenna. And she says that walking away from crazy is difficult when it's a family member you live with. My <sighs> sister can be very to toxic and manipulative. I've tried to shift my focus to God and work on myself by serving at Sandals and joining community. It's helped tremendously. And I've changed my view on things. 
things, but I still have moments where I struggle and I hurt because of my sister. I work on forgiveness by putting things in the past, but it's hard when things continue to happen week to week. How should I handle a situation like mm. this? Yeah, so it's great. So there's a couple complex issues here. You know, first it's family. Um, you know, two, it's your age, and it sounds like you still live together. So, uh, you know, my brother and I um, both love God, both try to serve God. We just, we just struggle. We just struggle getting along. And I, I don't think my brother's crazy. Maybe he thinks I'm crazy. I don't know. We just, we just really, really struggle. And the best thing that's happened to us is distance. You know, he lives in Chicago. I live here. I think, I think it was, it was really hard when he left, but I think it was really, really good uh, because we needed that healthy distance. And so, um, and again, I'm not saying my brother's crazy. The relationship has been challenging. So I don't know if your sister's crazy or not, but. I, I trust that it is a super challenging relationship. And, um, you know, sibling rivalry, we talked about this in our relational toolkit series, is really, really challenging. It's really, really difficult. And so what I think you need to do is buy your time, get out of the house as soon as you can, and, and get some distance between you and that person. Um, and here's how you have distance when you still live at home. Don't get into the argument. You got to walk away. You've got to walk away. And if she pursues you in the house, get out of the house. Leave the house. Mm. Walk away. Get away. Because ultimately what's going to happen is sooner or later, if you don't walk away from crazy, you're going to go crazy. It's going to happen. You've got to walk away because none of us are mentally stable enough to not go nuts, mm -hmm. right? Because and every person can only take so much. You can only take so much. You can only take it for so long and then you're going to snap. And now mm. it's your sin. It's your issue. And you're acting like the idiot that was being an idiot to you. And mm. so remember, anger is contagious. Walk away, get some space. I don't know how old you are. I don't know how long you have to do this. Here's the good news. Follow God, trust God, get an education, get a good job, and sooner or later this will end. Mm. So, but until that time, you know, you're stuck, you're stuck with your siblings. So, you know, um, you know, I, I'm assuming that they live together and they're in the house and they're young and it's just tough, man. And it's especially tough as you age and you become adults. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're born into families, which, you know, you didn't get to pick them. <laughs> You're born into them. And there's a reason, right? Uh, the Bible says about marriage, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and cling to his wife. Mm -hmm. We leave, we get to choose our families. We get to choose our path. And so just know it's not forever. It's just for now and learn that, pray for her and sincerely pray, God, you know, bless this relationship and specifically pray for your response. Mm. So uh, there's a great book out there called Love Does. Um, oh, what's his name? Bob, Bob Goff. He's my friend and I just totally forgot. Sorry, Bob, if you're listening, uh, I do love you. So Bob Goff wrote a great book um, called Love Does and he says this, we're all gonna react. So the question is not, are you gonna react? The question is what kind of reaction are you gonna be? Mm. And so he challenges us to be a beautiful reaction. And so when I embrace crazy, I try to use humor. Like with the woman who said she's disappearing. I'm like, I right. can still see you. Or the guy who said, you know, people are listening to us right now. I'm like, I know, you know. Yeah, um, that was good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and okay, let me say this. Don't, you can't correct crazy. You can't. You just, don't. Don't, side, don't, don't try to set them straight. Just try to remain healthy and, and not get stabbed. So good, good words plan. to live by, yeah. by Pastor Matt. Yeah, that's one of my life goals to not get stabbed. Great question. Sorry, sweetie, praying for you. Mm. 
So really interesting couple of questions to Whoa, close couple. out the show today from Wyatt and Tiffany. So Wyatt first, and, and I'll get to this question in a moment, but here's the setup. So so-called Christians have been coming to preach at students at their universities mm. using extremely hateful rhetoric to purposely antagonize and upset people. Their views seem to be biblically based, but they don't act like Christ in the way that they harass and argue with students. So Wyatt says, it really upsets me because for many of these students, this is the only image that they will have of Christianity. In one of the verses from your sermon this weekend, Paul said, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. But you also said to walk away from crazy, and that negativity does not deserve a response. His question, how should Christians respond when other Christians are severely damaging the perception of Christianity for non-believers? Yeah, so here, here's what I do, because I, I run into those all the time. I just walk away, because here's why. I don't think anybody's listening anyways. Mm. I, I just don't think. And, you know... Are, are they a real Christian? I, you know, just because they're wearing the t-shirt, they're, they're quoting a verse. I mean, Satan quoted verses to Jesus right. multiple times <laughs> when he tempted him. And I think these people, um, you know, in the name of love are hateful. So what does that mm. mean? They're, mm. they're hateful. Um, I do believe we should confront sin. I believe that there's a specific and, and a very, very real way to do that. Um, and, and we need to be very, very careful in that. And anybody who is not careful in the way they confront sin is not a Christ follower. They're not. Wow. They are not. And so a lot of people mistakenly, right, um, they, read, they read the New Testament. So every single book in the New Testament is written um, to one of two things, a church, which is full of Christians, or to a specific Christian, right? Mm -hmm. So it's written to insiders. So idiots take insider language and they preach it to outsiders. It's the stupidest thing ever. What we need to learn to do is how to make the outsiders become insiders. And you don't do that by screaming insider language at them. Mm. And every church does this. Churches that don't grow use insider language. Uh, they, they confuse people. Um, you know, my wife, my wife challenges me on my messages and she'll, she'll, she'll literally say that. She said, that was very insider. Like, um, oh, wow. and she's super sensitive to that. You know, like if I make a quick witted reference to Cain and Abel, well, most people have no idea who that is. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I need to only center my message. Like the Apostle Paul, we're in the book of Philippians, does not quote the Old Testament one time. Why? They're Romans. They don't know the Old Testament. So he's speaking to them about Jesus. And what does he use this weekend, Philippians chapter two? He's using a song that they sing in worship to preach to them. Hmm. And that's what Philippians chapter two is. It's an ancient Christian hymn where they would sing about what Christ did. It's, it's actually poetry that probably was accompanied by music that they sang to memorize. Wow. Wow. So he's using what they know. Yeah. So what we need to do when we communicate the gospel, and so remember this every week when you come to Sandals, that we have non-believers that are present. And churches that act like non-believers aren't present are ignorant. There are always non-believers present. And you, what we need to do is we need to speak, act, it's why we tell people, we don't say we're going to worship. We say we're going to sing. Mm -hmm. People know what singing is. They don't know what worship is. Mm. We're going to sing three songs. Then Pastor Matt's going to come out and give a talk. You're going to be here for about an hour, right? We try to do things so that people know, okay, this is going to come to an end. Right. And people, just so you know, every single week when I start preaching, get up and walk out every single service. And I don't always know why that is, but sometimes they're like, nah, this isn't for me. Mm. And... Uh, so I'm trying to do two things. You know, one is keep them in their seats through the service and two, get them to come back. And, and that's a challenge. Um, so we, we got to make sure that we do that. And these people, you know, I, I actually think they're tools of the enemy. Mm -hmm. 
I think they're they're being used by Satan, um, and they're they're just offensive. They're extraordinarily offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. We don't need to add to it. Yeah, mm. I don't need to be a jerk for yeah. Jesus. Thanks. I agree Thanks, with you, I, I saw yeah, you reaching out. Let's just I go just, for it. I needed to. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tiffany also sent a question. She's a graduate student at UCR, and her students have seen a lot of these you know, crazy preachers out there. And she asked more specifically, how should she relate to her students that what these guys say is not from God and it's not real Christianity? How should she respond to her students? Well, we can, we can say right things and still be wrong. So, so just, because, okay. just because I'm quoting scripture doesn't mean I'm right. Mm. The devil quoted scripture. He was not right. He was not. Mm. So that, that's what these people don't understand is that they can use the weapon of God to be a tool for the enemy. Wow. Oh, dang. Yeah, Give it, yeah yes. that's you. You got it. I'm saying it again. Yeah. They, can, they can use literally the weapon of God's scripture to be a tool for the enemy. It's exactly what Satan did. So these guys are just literally morons. They're not strategic. They're not thinking about how do I win people to mm, Christ. Mm-hmm. They actually think that being offensive is godly. And I don't think that it is. Mm-mm. There's no example of being offensive intentionally to culture. And we see this in the book of Acts as the apostle Paul embraces Greek culture, people that are far from God. Now he is offensive to Christians. He's challenging. So it's okay to offend believers. We should not offend non-believers. And Paul constantly, in the Bible constantly divides those who are a part of the family of God and those who are not. I talk to my children differently than I talk to children of the world. Hmm. I have different expectations for my kids than I do for kids of the world. I do not talk to them the same. And so it's just absolutely ridiculous. It, it's, it's like these people that stand up, you know, preaching the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not given to the world. They were given to the Jews. Hmm. So, you know, what, what does the world need to understand they're guilty of. There's only one sin, and that is the rejection of God. But before I get them to understand how they've rejected God, I need to teach them why they need to love God, know God, pursue God. I need to make a case for that. You know, wh- 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 why do I want to, you know, I-, I don't believe that the gospel wants to initially pour salt on a wound. It wants to bring healing to it. Mm. And, and, and our strategy is all wrong. You know, I'm going to tell you how much I love you by punching you in your face. I mean, who are these people? Mm. Um, and I've seen them for years. You know, when I used to work at the Harvest Crusades, um, you know, with Pastor Greg, um, you know, these idiots out there protesting Greg. I'm like, what, what is wrong with you when this is what makes it on your calendar? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when, the, when you're protesting a crusade, there's something wrong with you. It's sad. There's something wrong with it's you. Yeah. Um, because at least then, what is Greg doing? He's preaching to an audience who's come. Mm-hmm. They've come to, to listen. Yeah. And so, so I have a little more leeway in church because they've come to me. Mm-hmm. I, when these preachers have gone to them, you're on their turf, you're in their way. And this is, you know, you, 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 you are not the church, you're the synagogue of Satan. That's what you are. You're not building the kingdom, you're destroying it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Christ was hostile to religious people and he was tolerable to lost people. Yeah. Completely the opposite of what these people are doing. Mm-hmm. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand his ways. They don't understand his heart. These, these, are, these people are tools of the enemy. And um, I wouldn't confront them because they don't care. Yeah. They don't care. Mm. Like there's something wrong with them. Right. They may not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would not do that. So what spirit do they have? Mm. So... Mm. Um, you know, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to do. Um, I, you know, I don't know why they're allowed on campus to do that. I think that's ridiculous. Um, you know, I don't think anybody should be able to stand on campus and preach hate. Mm. Uh, and that goes for Christians, Muslims, it goes for liberals, it goes mm-hmm. for conservatives. Um, you know, I think, I think that you should be able to have an opinion and express it in a, you know, intelligent, tolerable way. And, and if you can't, usually people that, that have to scream don't have a point, mm. right? Like if, if, if you have to scream, you don't have a point. Mm. Um, you're not actually communicating something that's well thought. Right. And, and what, are those, what are those people doing? They're trying to silence people with their screaming. And what that means is I don't think they have a reasonable point. And it's sad, it's tragic, but it's the reality that we live in. Yeah. And, and just, you know, listen to me, God has enough dumb Christians, don't be one. Hey. We don't need any more. So, um, you know, don't be a jerk for Jesus. That is not the way. Now, let me say this. At least they're saying something. Mm-hmm. You need to learn to say something. You need to learn to speak up. Um, you know, I have a good friend of mine who's Jewish and I love him. God loves him. Um, every time he makes a comment about Jesus, I lovingly say, I disagree. And here's why. I mean, I just, I just gently, and I only bring it up when he does. Mm-hmm. And he brings it up constantly. Mm-hmm. Because he understands, he rejects, he right. re, you know, and I don't hate Jews. I worship one, <laughs> I, right? I don't, I worship one. I, 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 I pray and bow to a Jew. His name is Jesus. Amen. Um, the greatest rabbi in the history of Judaism. And whether you, you believe him or not, he is. I mean, he's the only rabbi that's world known. So, uh, you know, for all time. So, um, well, I guess Moses, there's a couple okay. other guys. Yeah, that would be <laughs> the too, case but, could be made. Yeah. That there's, yeah. So, um, but I would say more people know about Jesus than sure, Moses. Sure. So, um, what was my point? My point was we, we need to learn to gently speak to Christ mm-hmm. when the opportunity arises. Um, but, but start like this. Hey, I don't want to offend you. I, I love you. And I want to share this with you. That's how I would start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the, the issue is not sinfulness. The issue is perfection. Are you perfect? Mm-hmm. That, that's where I would go. Because and then and then anybody who thinks that they're perfect and every and, and and this is really the idol of America is we all believe we're good enough. Americans believe, and I hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Jews believe this, Muslims believe this, and many many so-called Christians believe this that I'm going to stand before God and I've been good enough. Mm. The cross says no one is, mm-hmm. and here's the problem: the Bible says to love our neighbor, but our neighbor is not the standard. Christ is the standard, and so I don't compare myself to my neighbor. And this is what a lot of people do. Well, I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you're not going to be, you're not going to be judged by me on judgment day. You're going to be judged by Jesus. And so in that mother Teresa falls short, Billy Graham falls short, Matt Brown falls short, your grandma, your sweet old grandma who makes great cookies falls short of the glory of God. And that, by the way, is the point that Paul makes in Romans. Mm. We all fall short of the glory of God. He doesn't say we're all worthless, terrible, awful, no good, evil people. He says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We've all gone our own way. We all do our own thing. And it manifests itself in different ways, but there are good people, comparatively speaking. Mm. Compared to what? Other people. Right. There are not good people compared to God. And that's why Jesus, when he's called good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? Because yeah. no one is good. Mm-hmm. So what do you, who, who am I, right? He's making the point. I am uniquely different from all human beings who have ever come. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm guessing this is, I don't know what, what school it's happening for. At least one of them is at UCR. Yeah. And so here, here's what I would say, Christians at UCR, you guys need to be a bigger, louder, better voice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because all that person is doing is making our work 
at UCR more difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the truth is God loves every single person at UCR and sent his son on the cross to die for them, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. Amen. And, um, you good. know, um, I think if God hates something, what he hates is idiot Christians that are doing that in the, in his name. And by the way, that is the sin, I think. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're doing. Mm. They're actually violating the very com- uh, covenant and commandment that they're calling people to honor. How sad is that? And is that not the definition of hypocrisy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you're actually doing the opposite of what you're saying. And it's just yeah. sad. So I'll be praying for you, UCR. I love you guys. Um, yeah. Great school. And there are great people there, great Christians there. And um, just don't be turned off by a couple of idiots because every, every group has them. Sure. So even sandals, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. They just don't last long here. <laughs> Very true. Well, that was a great episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to get the show notes for this episode with some of the verses that Pastor Matt mentioned and other things on there, head to debrief.show slash 66. You can also follow us at Debrief Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll have some quotes from the episode there that you can share with friends. We'll also post links when the episode is ready. We'd love to have you follow us on there if you're not already. And we would also love to have you support Sandals Church Mm -hmm. in the Debrief, especially if you don't attend Sandals Church, but you do listen to the show. We'd love to have you consider texting in to give to the Debrief. You just can text the words give debrief to 951-900-4120 um, and we will walk you through that. It's super simple, really great. Yeah, and they should not forget about YouTube because oh, YouTube yes. is a great place to watch us and you could see Pastor Matt sporting the volunteer debrief shirt looking yeah. very nice today. Yeah, very nice. And the beard that he spoke of oiling so far. He did, he did. So. It is magnificent. That's it my is. word for it. I'm going to stick with that. The magnificent <laughs> beard Thank you. of the PMB. Yeah. Thank you. Pastor Matt Brown. Yeah. But before we go, Pastor Matt, I want to learn some Christianese. Ooh. Yes. Do it. Learning Christianese. I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. Learning Christianese. I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. Is that Matt Ritchie's voice? Uh, maybe. Whose voice love it. is that? It sounds uh, slightly like producer Kelly's voice. <gasps> Could producer it be? Kelly, is it you? Mm. Oh, I want to The tattooed wonder himself. <laughs> All right, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say worldly? Mm, worldly. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Worldly. I mean, they mean not godly. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's quick. I know. That's what it means. Quick and to the point. If you're living worldly, you're not living for God. So the Bible says you can't love the world and God. You can't. You got to choose. Hmm. And, um, you know, the right choice is God. So that's what it means. Yeah, that's just one of those words we need to not use. Mm. Yeah. So worldly. Because in the like in the regular world, like worldly is like cool, like oh you travel, you do things. Yeah. yeah. Christians are like meh. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, that's one of those stupid things. Like are you anti Earth Day? Do you not like Arbor yeah. Day? You know, what's the deal? This year on behalf of Earth Day, I spent the whole day on Earth. You love that so much. Oh, I good did. Job. You yeah. love so I celebrated the entire Earth Day on Earth. Wow, me too. Yeah. Huh. It was a great year. Yeah, but you, you didn't intentionally do it. I did. Oh, well, fair. I could have been somewhere else, Yeah, but I was here. It was the 29th year in a row that I celebrated on earth myself. Mm. Oh, wow. Good for you. Mm. Keeping the streak alive. Yeah. Great question. Love you guys.